Hi, welcome to Sweetman Podcast. I'm Simon Sweetman and this is episode 47. I'm talking in this one with Debbie Harwood. Um, you probably know her from When the Cat's Away. Um, she still does, I guess, sort of a version of that. Some of the members of that group get together from time to time, so we talk a bit about that. Um, she's, you know, done her own music. She started off doing uh, a solo career and working with bands before Cat's Away came together. Um, and she's also done, you know, band management and sort of music industry stuff, administration, and, and, and sort of still is, you know, promotes promotes and organises the shows that she's doing very much herself now, most of the time. Um, so we talked about that. She's a Hawke's Bay local, so she's back in the Bay now. I did not know her at all apart from online, like we've, we've talked over the years, and we have sort of talked a few times about having this kind of conversation that's taken a couple of years to to put it together so um it felt like meeting an old friend and having a chat it was great um and i yeah went round to her <coughs> to her house in hawks bay over christmas when i was up there visiting my family and um we sat outside on a nice hawks bay summer evening and we had several drinks you might even pick that up as the conversation goes along um and yeah we talked about life in hawks bay leaving hawks bay going getting into music all the things she's done and then returning to hawks bay um we talked about the new zealand music industry we talked about uh, her time in australia where she was a backing singer for jimmy barnes at, at really probably just about the height of his career or certainly right up there you know when he was at his biggest in the early 90s so yeah she's got some fascinating stories about the industry and i i really uh enjoyed talking to her and i think you'll enjoy hearing these stories this is me chatting with debbie harwood this is sweetman podcast and uh you can thank uh, Phantom Bill Stickers for helping us get this to you. And of course, uh, Lafare, give us some coffee. And Yeastie Boys, give us some beer. So have a listen to me talking to Debbie Hartwood. We've got some ambient noise here. We're outside. We're in the hills of Havelock North. And we're very close to where I grew up. And we're, we're, we're pretty close to where you grew up. Yes. I grew up in Taradale. Yeah. In the old days when it was a brand new sub, you know, um, suburb. Mm. So our house was built in 1961. It was a Beasley house. Yeah. And I remember that the cupboards were painted, and oh, it was, those were the days, the 60s. Mm. Pastel blue, mm. pastel pink, black, pastel blue. It was brilliant. <laughs> and a black and white lino floor. Yeah. And so how many people are in, you know, you're, you're, I'm aware of your brother is involved Justin, in music, yeah, yeah, music yeah. too, and we'll talk about that. But so, how many people do you grow up with? What's the household? Okay, we're a tiny little house, and I had mum and dad and three brothers, and we had these rooms that were eight feet by nine feet. And the boys were cra- well for a while. My little brother Justin, as a child, was hyperactive and completely out of control, and never slept ever. Mm. And we were in a room together, this tiny little room, for the first five years of his life, so oh, he's five years younger than me, and all I remember is him leaping all over me in the middle of the night, <laughs> bouncing from wall to wall, he never touched the floor, he just went from couch, you know, couch to couch, and he just didn't sleep, and um, so they moved him in mm. with the boys, mm. and the boys, I finally got a room of my own, which was great. <laughs> and so when does, when does music kind of into the picture for you, or for anyone else in the household, like, do, are you... Yeah. first to it or was it first to you or I think maybe it was first to me and I was second so I've got a brother Mark who's older than me I was second and I, I just remember mum used to play the, the radio in the mornings and 
I was almost like I, I'd get up in the morning and my whole concentration, my whole awareness would be on that. And I'd just go through the motions of getting breakfast and, and doing, getting dressed and all that. But those things didn't really matter to me. I remember mm. hearing music quite young. But the pivotal moment for me was when my dad, who was a bus driver, and he was always away. He was away, he used to do tours around New Zealand for Newman's, actually, mm. you know, Corks mm. Bay Company. And, um, yeah, school bus trips. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm having a flashback now. <laughs> He's left a few people on the side of the road, but anyway, that's a whole other story. Uh, he, he came home one day in 1965 with the entire contents of a jukebox from mm. 1964 because they had to change them all. Wow. And we all know what 1964, with hindsight, what yeah, 1964 yeah, yeah. was like. And um, and I, we had a stereogram that my dad had come out from England. Mm. He'd, he'd been in the Second World War and, and had bad lungs, so they sent him to the South Seas. Mm. And he went to Australia and uh, he test drove FJ Holdens and he drove for Pioneer Tours and then came, my mother went over and then met him and then they came here to Hastings, where my family have been since 1870. And, um, and he put a stereogram on the ship. Mm. And I remember getting the 42 singles <laughs> that he'd brought home. I was five years old, you know, mm. but like your son Oscar. Yeah. Imagine Oscar doing this. <laughs> and they all, you know, we'd put then I put them on and I'd play them through. But then the best bit was the B sides. Mm. All those little songs that didn't have the budget, but I could yeah. hear the hits in there. Yeah. You know, like oh, someone's missed that. And even as a young girl, the B sides were just as important to me as the A sides. And I just used to listen to them over and over again. And and it was, you know, it was the Get Back and it was the early Beatles and and all sorts of other stuff. Mm. It was amazing. Mm. And um, the Hollies. And so that's where it all started for me. And it became a thing. It became the only time I ever felt really good was when I was listening to that music. When I say really good, like better than good. Mm. <laughs> so um, I got that and, I'm, and my older... That was probably my obsession. Mm, yeah, and do you share that with, does that trickle down? Do you share that with the younger brothers or no, are they like not interested in the girl in the house and only interested in the older brother or? Yeah, <laughs> actually I think the boys. Yeah, at that <laughs> I, age. I, I, my mum, and she will, she's still alive and she'll open, openly say this, she doesn't like girls or women at all. So the boys always got the attention. So I was very quiet in my home, yeah. which, you know, in you my... You made up for it. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> exactly. I had adolescence in my mid-30s. Um, they And so the boys were very vocal and busy. And we, if I looked, my mum went out, we'd sit around and we'd sing along to all the songs and... Um, that on that on that you know that we had, but mm. that's where it started. And I remember thinking, I remember getting crawling in as a little girl into the Beatles arrangements and and knowing that that was magic. Yeah, yeah really young, and wanting it, but being too shy to do anything. With and it. do you have this kind of? Are you you say too shy, but are you a? Do you have a performer streak? Like, do you close the bedroom door and get the no. hairbrush out? And, <laughs> no. No, see, I wish I did. Uh, that's the bit that's missing. I've I've never had that. Mm. In fact, I I don't like it. I don't like the attention. I don't like people looking at me. I don't I don't have a cabaret bone in my body, and that's probably caught me. In a way, that's been the where I've dropped through the cracks. Yeah, is because that's what because, as it turns out, when the cats was the biggest thing that I did. The perception for people that don't know us think that's like a cabaret thing. And I was so uncomfortable in that environment. Yeah, yeah. I was all about the music, and I almost standing on the stage with my hands on my hips, going, "This, you know, it's about the song, guys. <laughs> it's about the songs. So all the songs that 
I chose early on were the very first song I learnt for when the cats was golden years. Right. Because I was a huge Bowie fan and, and I, I, I'm all about the music, not about the attention. Mm. Yeah. Mm. That's, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go back again, but like since you brought up Cats back. Away, <laughs> Sorry, yeah. no, 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 since you, I, I mean, Cat, Cats Away, as I understand it, it, it was pretty much your project, like your conception, your idea, you, and you what, like you go and find the people for it, you all kind of knew each other, you're all out there singing, yeah, but you have this idea to put together this group. It, it was, it was sort of, um, or was it more than just you? No, it was sort of came from me, but it was um, came out of a set of circumstances. So mm. what happened was I, there was a band that used to play at Wild Wildlife in mm. Key Street, the old sailors, brothers, mm. old sailors, one, and um, they'd get guest singers in, and they invited me to sing. It was Badger and Jeff who now work with yeah. Phil Rudd from yeah, yeah. <laughs> and um, Martin Williams on drums, and and they invited me in, and I got I made them learn. Oh, must. For them, the most hideous set of songs in the sense that I was doing obscure songs of Debbie Harry's album. I mm. did uh, that, that flight for night. You know that song of, I can't remember what it's called, that was 1984, five, mm. three, four. Um, and I got them to learn all these obscure um, blondie songs and then all this other stuff. They're like, oh God, Debbie, why can't you just do Mustang Sally? <laughs> and, um, and so I did the show and it was really cool, except I'm sure the audience are going, Ah, but is that? And um, and then the bass player said to me, um, oh, my no, 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 no. I'm moving this because it's picking up a tiny bit of wind. Oh. And I think if I hold oh, cool. it here, I thought I was. No, no, you're fine. You're just ignore anything I do like this. Okay. You know, like <laughs> I also like hold. I'm, I've got this weird thing I've worked out. I like holding this because I like feeling connected Connect to it. Connected to what's well, actually you know, happening. To what's happening. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also and if I'm looking at it, it's only because I. I'm new to recording interviews, and I've got to see them. I've got to see the time going to believe it, because I'm. I, I I've trained myself to oh God, to listen and just take notes yeah. and like hours. Even, and I'll talk. Yeah, I'll talk to someone on the phone sometimes for a couple of hours, and then go away. And I've only got like five lines, and I'll have to fill in a hole. Oh my God! And I've done that. And I've liked doing that, but I'm too old for that now. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, no. And so, and so now this is a revelation to me. I'm like, oh, that's why everyone's always fucking recorded their interviews. It's actually <laughs> that's really. That's right. Let them talk. Yeah, it's okay. really easy to do this way. Yeah, yeah. So. Yeah. So I made them. Oh, yeah. sorry. So I so got this band to learn all these obscure songs off mm. these albums I love. Because I, I think the love of songs is probably my biggest motivation. Mm, mm. And, um, and, I, and I, you know been involved in a band here at the Only Coward Tavern, actually, yeah. just quite uh, called a <laughs> And we, we wrote our, our own songs and stuff. Anyway, I um, and we did the show, and it went really well. And, and then the bass player, Badger, who is adorable, mm. said to me after that show, Debbie, why don't you get some of your friends and come and have a sing all together? And I went, oh, that's very interesting. Because the thing about music that people don't realise is we're not, we're not, a company. We're not all together all the time. Mm, mm. We're gigging the same night in different places all mm. over New Zealand. Mm. So we rarely get together. And that's why when I was younger, the music awards were so precious because all of these, well, it wasn't that many, mm. <laughs> or weren't that many, people would get together this one night and, oh, you know, exp express how it felt to be touring musicians and working because we just don't see, you know, see them. We're mm. all there in the glue pot. We're at Windsor Park. Someone else is at Windsor Castle in those days. So um, it got me thinking, and 
1985, we were all at the Music Awards. When I say all, that was Margaret, Annie, Diane and me. Mm. And Diane and I were nominated in the same category. And Annie was singing something like Sailing Away or something. I might have that yeah. wrong, but something like <laughs> yeah. that. And, and Margie was uh, no, uh, nominated as Best Female Vocalist, and yeah. she won that. And oh, I, she would have done... Um, Near the World Dancing Toys around that time too. Four today would have been Annie. That, yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, it might have been that, that year, been or it might have been the year before the, uh, that that was up. Maybe before. Yeah, yeah that's right. Oh, I have to I have to Google that. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, so Margaret won Best Female Vocalist. I I won Most Promising Female Vocalist, which is hilarious. On because <laughs> in those days, do you know this? You could not be nominated for best female vocalist unless you'd been in that category of most mm. promising very school <laughs> mm. was Rescott and I remember mm. that year oh, this yeah very pre- graduated oh my god I know that year Brendan Dugan who at the time was 38 won most Just promising male <laughs> yeah, most promising male vocalist poor man because mm. it was the first time he'd been nominated for the awards right. and as he got up and went, oh. anyway so you couldn't get you couldn't get to the next step unless you'd done yeah. that yeah so I won that Margie won that and then because previously the only women in music really had been mostly other than Sharon and Sean so earlier in the 70s mm. it was all country singers so it was Jodie Vaughan and Suzanne Prentice and mm. there was another one Patsy Rigger mm. and suddenly this year sitting in that audience were four young women who were sort of pop pop um, Maggie quite funky you know um, women and so the listener did a story on us and John Reynolds interviewed us and took photos mm. <laughs> except that we went to the uh, shoot and he couldn't get a word in um, the four of us just <laughs> it was I've still got the um, press what do they call that thing uh, the um, when you first get photos done and they're on a oh yeah 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 whatever that yeah, is yeah, yeah. and um, I've still got that and we just you can see we're just hysterical we're laughing our heads off there was just this chemistry and we all went down Diane and I lived in Devonport at the time, and Margie and Annie somewhere else went to the Devonport Ferry to get on, and we just were just holding on to each other. Didn't want to leave. It was a chemistry thing, and mm. um, and so shortly after that, I, I remember waking up in the middle of the night, and going, "This would be so much fun if we could sing together," because it's so lonely. All of us were on the road with boys. Mm, Not that boys say. are bad. Yeah, yeah. We love boys. But, but, but it's, it's always been a boys club yep. and you know this, I was going to say like I was, my connection to When the Cat's Away was, uh, apart from anything else, it was one of the first times when I was really, like still quite young but really into a lot of New Zealand music, it was really the, the proper introduction to me to you know a whole bunch of women, not just women voices but female entities going like you know, and then you go back and you go, oh yeah, there's Shona Lang and she's actually been doing that, and there's you know, blah blah blah. But yeah, it, was, it felt like this big sort of um, statement against the boys' club. You know, you got boys on stage with you, you got backing band, you know, but suddenly you, oh, you good know, point. I'd never thought of it but, like that. But they're the backing band rather than you guys being the backing singers. To you know, it's That's a nice subversion. A very good perspective because it wasn't how I thought at the time. Because to me. I thought I was one of the boys. Maggie thought she was one of the boys. We all we all mm. thought we were Diane probably the same. But I remember it, it was um, we were never really. Uh, oh, can I, oh, I have to tell you this story. When I first went back to Badger, mm. or not so much him, but their manager, and about this gig, the mm. show, 
And I went and and I said, sure, okay, well, 50-50. So 50% for the band mm. and 50% for us. Mm. That'd be great because mm. that's fair because I've always been very, very fair with things like that. And I sound like Donald Trump now. Very, very fair. <laughs> and uh, and I went and I went and they came back and said, no, that's not that's not on because we're the musicians and you're just the singers. So uh, 60-40 our way. And I went and I thought, oh, that's a shame. I went on, no, okay, that's fine. We'll we'll, we'll get another band. Mm. And so we pulled a band together and I actually offered that band a cut of it or a set fee mm. because I'm all about sharing, but the band were so nervous because it was so totally unknown mm. what was going to happen. Whether it was going to work. I had no idea, yeah. and we didn't. And a lot of people say, oh, she put it together for money. I'm like, God, no, I hadn't even had any money for seven years. I hadn't earned a cent from music. I didn't know that that was what was going to happen. But I offered them an, you know, a split, and they went, no, we want this much a gig. Mm. And and I said, okay, well, we'll give you this much a gig, which is a bit more because that's who I am. So we, they decided to do that. And then we went on stage, and it went really well. For some reason, and he, and he was saying, I really thought only my mother was going to come, and I went, yeah, me too. Uh, so the first night at Wildlife was packed, and then it, and we, we got this band from all over the country, Christchurch and Steve Larkins and Ross McDermott from Christchurch, and with Brett Adams, mm. who, I've all, who I always have adored as a player, and had seen he's him in the morning. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he's, oh. he's like... <laughs> he's got the direct line yeah, <laughs> from somewhere. I love him, and I got... Britain and um, yeah, Wayne Bell came with Diane. Also and, fantastic. Uh, yeah, yeah, amazing. Yeah. And those two guys alone, I mean, all of those players, but those two guys s- still doing it, always or, doing yep. it. You know, doing, yep. al- always nailing it. Yep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And a, such a great range of material they can yeah. cover. So and you can see why they would have been perfect for that. Oh, perfect. And musicians that will drive through... Everything just to play, whether they and make money or not. Well, they're, I was going to say those two guys, and I, I know them a little bit, and I know them through their playing primarily. But those two guys seem to me to be the very epitome of what you're talking about when it's all about the song. Yeah, you know they've got chops galore. Oh yeah, but their egos are in check because yeah. they um, bow down to the song. Yeah, and the yeah the other musicians on stage and the song is mm. what they're about, rather than oh. Is my spotlight coming? You know, exactly none right. None of that. Yeah. Exactly right. And I, I was, yeah, really determined. And that's what we were like. We were all, you know, all had a, how our original bands, and we were all just having a bit of fun for a weekend. And I've got a recording of that where on the last night I say, "Thank you, that's us." When you know, breaking up now because this mm. isn't important mm. to us. What we're doing in our own bands is more important. I had a band called The World, how presumptuous, <laughs> um, with my brother Justin and Andrew Todd from The Chills and, uh, and uh, I can't remember where I found Andrew floating around, Gary Verburn, Tim Robinson from Wellington mm. and Annie Crummel was my backing vocalist. How hilarious. And um, we did lots of gigs, Cabana, and yeah. we, got a, we got a hold in and we travelled around New Zealand and... But, you know, we couldn't get airplay, you know. Mm. And this is this is probably pivotal to the formation of When the Cat's Away. Have we got there yet, Simon? No, we, no, no. You know want to talk yeah. about my intermediate years? No, no, not high school. What I was gonna, well, <laughs> what I was going to say to you was, yeah. all I was going to say, I was waiting, but I was going to say, I was waiting and I was waiting. And I, <laughs> no, and I, I, I was just going to say, how do we get from the contents of that jukebox in 1964 yeah. to Cat's Away? Oh, that, good. Okay. That's, that's what I want to fill in. Yeah. But 
by all means go where you're going first, which is part of that, and then we don't need to go through the entire intermediate and high school years. I but I do want to, <laughs> I do want to know how this person who clicks with the idea of the song and the song being important, and I think that's absolutely um, pivotal to and crucial to when the cat's away and what they're about. Mm. It was a celebration of a bunch of songs. songs that's that's yeah. how I heard it. Yeah, um, you're right. So I want to know, and and you, you're sort of saying I'm not a natural performer, I'm not you know I'm not like a song and dance person by nature, and I never really properly oh, learned no. it. So I want to know. <laughs> I mean, I know what well, you get a job in a radio station, and you're doing some singing, but how are you doing that singing and why? Yeah. So that's what I want to fill in. But by all means, go where you were going first, and then we'll go back to that. Oh, no, I know lo- I love where you're going actually because I did definitely jump. Cheers to that. And uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, so music was it was almost like my private world, mm. my private universe. Mm. And I, I kept it because Mum didn't really like music. Dad loved it, but he was never home. And so I um, and I got through high school and I'd I'd enter the, the talent quests and then feign sore throats and drop out and mm. I just it wasn't right but I remember the day that was it when um, not JFK but Robert Kennedy died and they mm. played that song uh, uh, and they played all the Baccarat that Baccarat mm. medley can you remember that mm. you went alive I was alive there but I know what you're talking about oh, yeah. on the radio it was you know what the world mm. needs now mm. is love and I remember standing in the kitchen in the morning getting ready for school and that, that's where I wanted to be and, and Baccarat, my dad loves music and he'd bring home the Baccarat albums and everything. And they, they just went in, Dusty Springfield. and So everything dad brought home went sort of went in, nothing else really did. Mm. And I got through school, but I found it very well, stressful. And then when I left... I but did, do you bond with people at school over music or is it still very much mm, that private thing? Is it like your dad no, brings these things home, you process yeah, them? No, I'm really private. Mm. Uh, even for Paul, you know, my husband, he 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 would say to you, Debbie doesn't like music, because I don't. We, ne- we don't have music in the house, but I do it privately because mm. if I listen to music, I can't get out. So when I go in, I have to be prepared to go in. Otherwise, I, I can't have music as a background thing. I despise parties where they're playing music loudly and I'm trying to talk to people because anything I hear goes in too strongly. The other night, Paulie. I asked him to play a Ray Charles song, which I just love, called If I Could, mm. that he, he, he sang and played. And Paul's a brilliant pianist, so we got it out and we are <laughs> up till about 2 o'clock in the morning playing that song. But since then, which was about a week ago, I, I cannot get it out of my head and it's been driving me crazy because I can't sleep. Yeah. Um, so music, you know, really gets in for me. And then, so I did a couple of, because what you do in Hawks Bay is you do the... Uh, <laughs> Tabard Theatre, <laughs> don't you? And I auditioned for, um, oh, this is really tragic. I uh, auditioned for Mary Magdalene in Jesus Christ Superstar because I actually really love Jesus Christ Superstar as a, you know, the recordings, are the, mm. that's their best work, mm. right? Mm. Let's face it. Mm. And, the, and the playing and everything. And I auditioned for Mary Magdalene. They hated my guts and said, no, sorry. I went, what? Perfect. Surely I'm perfect. You know, I was 18, I think. And I had, I had my red Jenny pants on. I don't know what was wrong with them. And uh, they came backstage and said to me, Debbie, you're too young to be Jesus' mother. I went, oh my God, you idiots. 
uh, he wasn't, she wasn't his mother, she was his girlfriend. And they went, no, she wasn't, dear, off you go. And I went, oh, no, <laughs> who am I dealing with here? But anyway, what happened was every Mary Magdalene they tried to put ahead of me got mm. sick. And uh, I ended up, you know, they all protested, and Jesus and Herod and Pilate, <laughs> they all had a protest, and I ended up Mary Magdalene. And, and from that, the band that was, it was the old days with real bands and, you know, n not so much cabaret, but Joe Aiken. Do you know Joe Aiken from yeah, yeah. the drummer? He came to me at my work in Napier and said, Debbie, we love your singing. Can you come and join our band? I went, don't be stupid. I could never do that. I'm far too <laughs> shy. Anyway, they just hounded the crap out of me mm. until I went, and then um, I said, I'll give it a go, but if, if I can't do it, I, I have to drop out, and, and I did it. I loved it. Mm. Got on that stage. We packed a whole lot of covers, and I do, this, it was all Blondie and the motels and um, a whole lot of really interesting stuff from then, the, the first string album, um, mm. police album and all that. We did that, and we started writing as well, and I remember thinking, oh, this is this is." This feels pretty good, and uh, and then I drove to Auckland, and but I didn't sing for no one knew I could sing, and so many people in the industry that I who are my peers from my time think of me as an industry person, not as mm, a singer, mm. and because um, I, I drove there and got a job at Harlequin Studios, mm. and when I say job, I mean painting, and painting the walls there, <laughs> and, and then they did offer me a job eventually, but I was just scoping the place out. I'm not a an A personality at all. I'm much more melancholic than that and, and much more back. But I've got huge passion. Mm. And um, so I started, you know, managing bands and touring them. And eventually in 1983, I'd have been there two and a half years, I said to one of the bands that I was managing, oh, if you, you know, I can sing some back and vocals. Um, <laughs> with jo Josie Wicker, who's, you know, the most amazing singer. Do you mm. know Josie Smith? Mm. Oh, mm. incredible singer. And uh, and and me, we we did the backing vocals for Big Sideways, and and while I was managing them, then then within about a month, I was up front, and Justin joined actually on bass. Uh, that was the first time we. So what's his? I mean, just very briefly, what's his kind of connection to music and his his sort of journey up to that point? So, Same as mine, really. So it's a private. Taradale. Yeah, it's a private thing for him in a little bedroom in a little house in Taradale. Absolutely, think it is yeah. too. And and he because he's a bit younger, so you've you've moved on a little bit while he's still. Yeah, he's still getting his head around music. Yeah, you yeah, know, yeah. So he was allowed to do whatever he wanted, and yeah. for me, it was like. When I listened to Dizrothmir on the floor in our house in Taradol over and over and over again by split ends, <laughs> my mother mm. said, But Debbie, you've heard it. Like, oh, <laughs> oh that's, that's not enough. I have to keep hearing it. But just, yeah, just did the same thing. He was in the school plays. Mm. He was in um, South Pacific, is it? Yeah. Someone yeah. <laughs> chanted evening. Learned upright bass, played in orchestras, yeah. you know, and then turned up on my doorstep in 1980. Three, two, two or three, summer of two or three, and pitched a little tent in my backyard and stayed there because <laughs> he wanted to be a musician. And I sort of introduced him to everyone and he came through and then we joined Coconut Ruff. Yeah. And then into my band, into, oh, into Big Sideways. He was so young then when I think about it. He was only 18 then, I was 23. And then we formed the world. <laughs> Such a great... Um Metaphor I'm thinking that is that you just turn up at your big sister or brother's house and pitch a tent in their backyard because you want to be a musician. That's kind of what it's, it's sort of never really changed from that. No, that's it's actually, still the same. That's 
sort of literally addressing it, but that's kind of what everyone does their version of that, and 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 a lot of musicians end up that is their, actually their life. Yeah, and that, quite happy in that, that tent. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Quite happy in that tent. Exactly. Yeah. Until someone points out that it's a tent and it's going to rain and they're going to have yeah. to stay in there when it leaks. Or they say, you know, like, go to the music awards yeah, tomorrow yeah. night and you've got nothing to wear. Yeah. There's that, you know, and those yeah. days. I love those days. You know, I love those days because it was so hard. And well, probably actually it's probably as bad now, but, um, you know, we'd, we would have nothing. We'd just, we would just make our way. Mm. And then they'd say, you'd be nominated for something and you'd go, oh, my God. Okay. And I remember borrowing skirt and shoes to go to one of the music awards at the Hyatt, the good old days, Simon, where they didn't <laughs> broadcast it. And all the music, no one else could come in except musicians and the industry people. And it was wild. You know, mm. we'd all be lying on the floor. We'd all, there'd be one of the bands would play. <laughs> and we'd all be like on our backs on the floor, Graham Bray dancing with Graham Bray, Zero and Dave, and, and no one watching us, no one broadcasting it. <laughs> Having a ball, eating as much food as we could and drinking as much as we could because we were so starving. And I remember them those days so well. And actually, I ran home from the Hyatt. I lived in Parnell, a little wee flat with a couple of friends where Justin had his tent out the back. And I, ran, I used to run. I don't know what that is about. But anyway, I ran home in my stilettos <laughs> and I went through the domain and I came up and I was running along Parnell Road and the police stopped me. Mm. And they said, are you okay? No, Debbie, you shouldn't... Well, didn't, they didn't know my name at that time, but in my head they did. And they said, you shouldn't be out running, you know, home. What are you doing on the streets? And I was dressed in sparkly top and the borrowed clothes for the uh, music awards and... They said, anything could happen to you, love? Get in the car. And they took me home, you know. They were so worried. But that's how I lived my life. In the early 80s, everywhere I went, I walked or ran. Mm. And, you know, and I'd I'd, I'd go, I live in Ponsonby or Greyland in the old days when it was really rough. And I'd walk or run across, you know, um, Grafton Bridge and go down to Pano for rehearsals and then run home. Mm. When I say run, I don't mean in Lululemon uh, clothes. I still had my... Normal clothes on, but I, it was all about the music, and I was so full of the joy of making music with people, and that's really all that mattered. And mm. actually, that's and and not that you said anything, but that's a very good point, Simon, because <laughs> <laughs> we're getting to the place of that the thing you asked me about being a performer. No, see, it was all about the music, and in a way, I love being in a rehearsal room more than anything. You know, mm. the second you get on the stage. There's expectation. Well, that's where the pantomime comes in. The yeah, expectation, expectation. The, you know, the 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 product. Yeah, the you business. Know, the show. Yeah, the yeah, industry. Yeah, the glitz. The whatever. Yeah. Even if it's raw, like the something above and beyond, just yeah. people enjoying it and exactly and and connecting with a song. Yeah. One day you're looking down in a rehearsal space and the next minute people are looking at you and then you've got people, especially with when the cat's away. We started off very sort of rough you know people don't remember that but when we say when I say rough I mean real yeah and we were just having a really good time and we were singing all this I've got a thing about lost Kiwi songs which I've always had and I had it when I was young and I'd hear all these songs because I worked you know with Mike at Mushroom and stuff and for no money by the way but I just trying to help New Zealand musicians and I'd hear singles and I couldn't get them played on radio, Mm. it would kill me. And I I really, I couldn't believe that they wouldn't play Dave Dobbin's songs off the Debbie Special. I was going to say, I think think, um, Annie in particular, within Cats Away, 
doing guilty oh. is probably the reason Dave can play that now, and which he does often in his shows, and it's fucking wonderful. Yeah. And people have some some purchase on that song probably because of her doing it. Yeah. More than because of Dee, you know, beyond a few, you know, hardcore fans that love. I mean, The Optimist is a great record. Yeah. It's a fantastic record, and so there'll be guys and girls in Dave's audience that do dig the original, but you, you guys kind of flew the flag for that song because it came out at a time when, I don't know, it didn't really mean anything in the context of his career then. It was sort no. of a, uh, this You're weird so outlier, this anomaly, and then now he actually makes a lot of music like that. Yes, and that was the bit that people miss when they go, why were they so huge? Why? Yeah. Because what we did, we didn't play the top 40, we didn't play the single off mm. the album, we didn't choose... We, we chose songs that hadn't quite hit the Wastrel mm. songs and we, we chose songs that I, I was, it was almost like a campaign at, the, at a time when there was 1.2% New Zealand music on radio yeah, yeah. and they were all old songs. Well, let's address the, I don't know if it is the elephant in the room, but if it, if it is, let's address the elephant in the room and um, <laughs> Cats Away, Melting Pot, where does that yes. song come from? For you, I mean, I, I had the original, I know where it comes from, but yes. I mean, for you guys, mm-hmm. and, and I hadn't heard the original, you know, as a kid, I just heard the song and saw the video of these women oh, yeah, singing the song, and, then, and I think probably my parents went out, that's a cover. And that, you know, the late 80s, mid to late 80s, there were a lot of <laughs> perfect timing. It's a bit of clinking. No, no, that's great. There's perfect, a bit of clinking perfect, going on perfect, around here. Perfect timing. No, no, you're absolutely right about that. Okay. I mean, that was a, that, there was a big... A slow but steady revival of 60s songs throughout the mid to late 80s. So it fits into that, right? But yeah. I just want to know where the song comes from for you guys. Okay. And, and what your feelings about that song are. What it's done for you. That's a great question. What do you feel about that? It was the very first single I ever bought. Right. When I was about 13 or 14. Blue Mink. Yeah, Blue yeah. Mink. I love them. Bannerman and mm. those songs. Mm. And, this, and the... A really cool band, actually. Like, I've only just got into them, uh, well, you know, last few years. Like, really got into them and listened to a bunch of their stuff and gone, fuck, what a great band. Yeah. I knew the story for a long time because I'm such a massive Lou Reed fan that I knew the story that Herbie Flowers, who was in Blue Mint, and I think co-wrote, I think, you know, at Mountain Pot, I think his name's on there, but he played the bass on Walk on the Wild Side. So I knew that because I'm a Lou Reed fan. So I know things about this band beyond that song. But yeah. it's really only been the last five or six years I've actually listened to a couple of their records and bought a couple of their records and gone, uh, fuck, there's all sorts of good stuff yeah. here. You know? Yeah, they, they absolutely yeah. epitomise Okay, so you're a fan. Yeah. Big fan. Yeah. First single I ever bought, and I remember it had a blue label, this little 45. And I loved it. Mm. And then when the Cats Away happened, when, when, when the Cats Away happened, um, it's like the the dudes. Yeah. Um, and, and I was in Auckland, and we were touring, and we never were serious. So this is this is probably a really important point. Mm. We never, and this is you know all of us went. This is just fun for us, and mm. and a bit of a break from the grueling thing of touring and playing to ten yeah. people. Um, that when we did do a tour, I thought we need a song to that maybe. 
we, well, we can give something to radio that doesn't cost anything. Yeah. You know, that yeah, we don't, yeah. I couldn't, I, I was 24, I could, or five, I couldn't afford to buy, didn't even know about that, I had no money. <laughs> I dressed out of op shops and stuff. I, I thought I need something to help the band let people know that we're coming to town. Mm. And I wasn't, and I was so aware of airplay at that time. I knew no one played anything. Mm. So it was tricky, but then I, I, um, I was waitressing at Delmonico's, and uh, which was in Debrett's mm, mm. in in the eighties, which was the most fabulous deco restaurant with the best chefs. And my maitre d, or well, not say my maitre d, the maitre d there, Westall, big music fan. He used to play mm. Nona Hendrix and Paddy LaBelle at eleven in the restaurant when those poor people <laughs> were eating dinner, and they were paying so much money. Yeah. And I said, "Turn that shit down." He said, "No." Anyway, he said to me, "Dewey, oh, you know, I love Blue Mink," and I went, and it, I remembered, and I went, "That was my first single, Wheezy." And then I went, "What's a song that five women can sing together?" And that was the only thing I could yeah. think of, you yeah. know. And I, I, I remember sitting in Alton Road. Do you know that little house, that little ancient house in Alton Road in Auckland mm. next to the Marae, the Auckland Marae in the university? There's this ancient little house mm. and mm. Annie Crummer rented it. And it had no, it just had scrim on the walls and everything. And she had Michael Jackson posters all around the walls, <laughs> and all her presents that people had given her over the years. And she didn't drink; she never, she's never had a drink in her life. But she's got the biggest collection of wine you'll ever see in the world because people gave her wine, and she'd just keep it because she couldn't drink it. So her room was full of wine and posters of Michael Jackson. And uh, we, I went and we had a meeting there, and I said, and I didn't ever want the women to feel that I was bossy or bossing them, but I could feel the energy and that idea that it was going to be a great idea. And I, I knew that Mountain Pop was going to be a brilliant thing. And I went to Michael Gladding at mm. CBS and played it to him and said, look, we, we were touring and this would be a great single. Because at that time, no one was releasing original music because no one could, well, mm. they were, mm. but no one was playing it. Not that I was thinking, oh, how can I fill that gap? I just thought I, we need to get, let people know we're coming to town. So, and he said, oh, we don't think it's going to work. But if you pay for it, Debbie, we'll put it in the shops for you. And I, so I, we'd just done a few runs of shows. And I said to the girls, I'm just going to put some money out and we're going to record the song. But if you don't record it, I will record it. Because I'd always wanted to sort of mess with that song and record it. And they went, okay, okay, let's do it. So we went into Air Force Studios and recorded it, and it cost us $3,000 to record, which is probably what a song costs now, mm. in 1986, eight, seven, seven, eight, no, eight. And then we would got Kerry Brown, you know, the uh, photographer, to make the video, and we tied it in with the melting pot shoot. So it was all, you know, we're trying to get it done as cheaply as possible. Mm. But we paid for it. So, it, I know, and then I took it to CBS, they put it in the shops, and it, and it went to number one really quickly because for the previous two years, we've been touring New Zealand and mm. they loved us. Mm. And oh, that's my dog. <laughs> <laughs> that's a very giant poodle uh, growling at the uh, small poodle. Uh, and it went off, but it was really in my mind, uh, no, not about a recording career, it was about trying to help us not lose money on yeah, the road. Yeah. 
Yeah. Because I took all the risk as a young girl. You know, I just, at 25, I just, I can't believe it actually. I used to book the venues, the publicity, the everything, and I absolutely believed it was going to be okay, and I had no idea if it was or not. And, and ba- every band of that time, you know, the Mockers and Sailor and the Dudes, they all broke up in debt, mm. and that's one mm. of the, re- the main reasons they broke up. Mm. Most of them were in debt to 30k or 40k mm. in those days, which was a lot of money. Um, and I, for some reason, just had this blind faith and just threw, I wouldn't probably do it now, mm. but I threw myself out there and, and took the girls you know, with me and did it. And and then they all, you know, I couldn't have done it without them mm. in the sense that we all had our roles. I had that role in the sense of sort of booking the tours, knowing what was the right venue and repertoire and all of that. And everyone else brought in their genius and their humour and the women are funny. Mm. Have you met Annie or Margie? Yeah, so? yeah, yeah. Uh, well, I've met Annie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Hilarious. And I've talked to Annie on the phone a couple of times. She's one of the and funniest yeah. people you will ever meet in your life. Oh, Margaret. Yeah. And Diane. But I was, you know, I was just thinking, and I've met Diane, and, but I was thinking, like, what was cool was actually you, part of that story where I zoned off for a minute was when you were talking about um, Annie Crummer having a flat with Michael Jackson pictures. And I'm like, yeah. oh, cool, because I went to the Michael Jackson concert and she opened for him. Oh, and, yes. I was, and so that just makes me go, like, fuck, how much did she love that? Like, that how would have been ha- that would have been like. Yeah. Through. Well, she, she had this incredible run where and it was all within a few years because and i saw all the shows and i've i often talk to people about this i go fuck how good was her management or or whatever how good was her yeah 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 Yeah, because yeah yeah yeah, because she opened for paul mccartney katie uh, lang ray charles ray charles and well i didn't see katie lang but i saw ray charles paul mccartney and michael jackson within Mm -hmm. a couple of years and she was the opening act for all three of them yeah and she was good too. Yeah. Like it wasn't like, oh, not her again. It was just oh, like, oh, no. cool. We're going to see something that's going to actually work. This is going to be good. But I was, you know, that's amazing. Like yeah. you wouldn't get that now. Like someone that could oh, no. could do the, that level of show Annie for Crummer, those artists. Oh my god, Anna Crummer, her, her musicality. She wouldn't have a clue what a G was or a C yeah. or anything. No idea. Just open the mouth it's and it's there. Though. All in, yeah, and yeah. all in her head. Yeah. And and with us, she would arrange the vocals and she, you know, she she's phenomenal without actually knowing what she's doing, and uh, still is, you know. And she yeah. did. You're so right. She did. And Sting. She supported yeah, Sting. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. Incredible, and there's Margie. Yeah, I'm sure there's loads more. I'm just, I just, I just remember fixating on those three names and going, yeah. well, at that time too, like in the, we're talking early to mid nineties. Yeah. You couldn't get three bigger names in music still active than Ray Charles, Paul McCartney, You're and Michael so Jackson. Right. I mean, that's that's fucking it. Yeah, it you is. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. who's bigger than that? Yeah. There isn't anyone yeah. that's no, no operating. One. And there's Annie, and she does it brilliantly. Yeah. You know, there's one thing having the connection with the Warners, the Warners yeah. in, but you've still got to get on you've the stage. You've still got to be able to deliver. And do it. Yeah. You know, and she is still, and every, every moment. I mean, Annie yeah. has never had a drink and a laugh, and she, her whole focus is that. And her musicality is... And I remember seeing her, I didn't see her to talk to her, but I remember clocking her earlier this year at the Prince concert and just basically going, oh, cool, you're here. Like, I would expect you to be. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, oh, cool, and you're going to have... I'm, cause, and there was this real feeling of elation in the 
in the foyer at that show because we all had to sort of wait and it was an early show and then there was another one. But people were just looking around and basically spotting people and basically going, oh cool, you're here. We're all here. And then obviously, you know, he died so it meant even more, yeah. you know, a couple of months later. But just right then at that moment, I just yeah. remember sitting there going like, awesome, you're here. You know, I would expect you to be That's here. So like, true. Yeah, yeah. And she desperately wanted me to go. She rang me and said, did we come up? And I went, I had the bed and breakfast in Hastings yeah. and I couldn't go. I had a full house and I, I couldn't go and I so wanted to go. I honestly thought that, you know, um, a couple of years ago that my music was fading down and I'd, I'd come and get mm. a job, but oh no, I didn't. <laughs> well, I was going to say, when, when I first talked to you about um, the potential of catching up and doing a podcast, you were like, yeah, cool, I'm, I'm not really doing much, like I've got lots of stories, We've d- I've done some stuff, and then shortly after that you got real busy again. It's <laughs> so true. And, oh. you know, and, you, and then how, here we are now, and we'll, and we'll talk about this stuff, but yeah. let's go back to Cats Away sure. and go, um, so you had done what? Two or three solo singles, you'd been in a couple of bands, you'd managed some bands, you'd done all this sort of stuff, and then you put together Cats Away. And how long does the band go for? Is it three years? Two, three years? We did four, 86, four. September 86 yeah. to the summer of 1990. I was going to say, it's just into the 90s, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. And um, it was exponential in a way. It's like, mm. I always like, explain it like it's that fish, you know, that book. You know, where they mm, get too mm. big for the sink and then yeah. too big for the pool and then too big for the ocean. I was going to say, so each time you're touring, it's just getting bigger and bigger oh, and was, bigger. Like, uh, it was yeah. ridiculous to the point where and we... You're largely doing the same sort of show, like you're adding a few numbers here and there or whatever, but after a while, no, because you've got to play Melting Pot probably twice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. Actually, well, we were two years together before Melting Yeah, yeah, Pot. yeah. But then after that, that yeah, becomes after that. the signature, doesn't it? Like and it? But it was still sort of quite relaxed yeah. then, you know. It's probably got bigger since, yeah. in a way. But we, the first two years, and we changed our show all the time. We used to theme it uh, in the sense it wasn't in a cabaret way, but in a sort of slightly Monty Python kind of way, mm, you know. Mm. The first three shows we did... Margaret and Diane dressed up as uh, Amazonian explorers, <laughs> which isn't really that camera, eh? with, with rifles. <laughs> and we did that brilliant Andrew Fagan song, Another, uh, Another Boring Day in the yeah, Amazon. Just another boring day in the Amazon. You better take a good look. So whatever the songs we were doing, we were just, because we were young and full of beans, you know, we just, we'd do that. So... <laughs> They'd be stalking each other in, in camo, you know. Um, but it wasn't a show thing. It was more the comedy thing, mm. actually. And and then we could sing, but really we were together because we were laughing and, you know, mm. having a ball. Um, sorry, Simon, what was your question? Oh, <laughs> sorry, you didn't ask me a question? No, no, I, I just wanted to sort of know roughly the time frame of Cats, Cats Away oh, yes, and when, it sort, of, when it sort of wraps up. And... I was thinking, because I was thinking it was early 90s and also that's, I mean, that's really, and I didn't experience a whole lot of this but myself, but I remember from my folks, like, the 70s and then into the 80s, the 80s is still when, like, in New Zealand you could go and see the kind of package show. It was either like a cabaret thing or, you know, you'd go and see two or three pretty good, pretty big New Zealand bands. Yes, you know, yeah. you'd get your a Dudes and Hello Sailor together or Dudes yeah. and Dee Dee Smash, you know, or Dee Dee Smash and Him and Gamble or, you know, yeah, whatever. Like, yeah, yeah, that's um, You get that sort of stuff of it, yeah. happening. And so you guys are in on that, really. Like, at the end of that, like, you're your own 
package tour, like you're your own package show. We all thought we were part of that because all of us had been involved and, you know, we were sing, singing on their records, singing, I've sung on, I don't know how many records mm. of that time. I still call them records because they are records. Mm. Um, but, you know, I sang all the way through and we did this thing which really, we were slightly, not embarrassed, we were embarrassed once they started to turn up in the <laughs> bloody tens of thousands. Like, mm. hey, 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 hey. Hey, we've got our own bands. Diane's got this great band, and you know Margie's, because Margie had come out of Peking Man. Mm-hmm. I, I, I never thought she'd do it. Um, and there was a tour in 1987, 98. Was it the Martin Boat tour? The one before, where we got to a week out, and Sony said Margaret's not coming, and we went, Oh yes, she is. And this, I said, because I was young, I was 26, and I had a already had a. $30,000 bill for yeah. promotion. <laughs> I said, unless you want to pay the $30,000 bill. Um, no, we're going on the road. And and, the, and they let her come and she turned up and it was really conflicting for her because um, they had they tried to get her away from us. Mm. And same with Annie. Um, but my with hindsight, you know, if there'd been a really clever a and person or me in a record company, I would have gone... They are mm. brilliant. Let's get them in, get the original songs. Diane writes great songs. Margie does. Annie does. I do. Um, why don't we do something with them? And it could have been bigger because we all got on really well. But, you know, it is what it is. And Annie, um, Margie always looks back and goes, it's one of the best times of my life. Her first album was called Safety in Numbers because she'd had us until that point mm. and then she was out on her own and all us, all of us will say it's so much harder being out on your own. Actually thinking about it now, she does that, I can't remember what it's called, but she does that collection of New Zealand... Yeah, Second Nature. Yeah, that's it. And that's around the time you guys get back together, like that's just before that, isn't that's it? Right. So and that's right. So I was thinking it's almost like that's her... That's her longing for that sort of comrade, you know, camaraderie, yeah, camaraderie. Again, again, and then and then it turns up. And that's know, Murray early... Tom from CBS, yeah, who initially loved Margaret and who signed up Peking Man, yeah, right. And so you know, and they had three number ones, or between mm. her and Peking Man, there three or four mm. number ones. Who, who has that? That's incredible. Mm. Mm. And still today, she gets on that stage, and she's remarkable, mm. Margaret. And and innately musical. She can drum. She can mm. play. You know, she records music at home. She's incredible. And um, so Mary Tom did the Second Nature album, and it was all covers. Yeah. Wasn't it? Was yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah. It's very, you know, in a way, it's very similar to what uh, Cats Away were doing in terms of shining the light on these great songs. Yeah, just that's going, right. Like, you know, these are songs I like. That's they, a very good point. They come from New Zealand songwriters, and I grew up yeah. with them. I grew up alongside the people who, you know, did them, and I liked them. And that's sort of yeah. how she put that together. And then you guys start touring again. But so, what do you do in the nineties? You go to Aussie. Yeah. Is that is that the first move? Because I married that gorgeous man, Ricky Morris, and he right. was right. So, so he was doing yeah. okay at that time. He, yeah, not he not was that he's not now, star. but I mean, like that's when people got yeah. to know who he was. He was a bit of a star. And he'd right. been on Three Forty Five Live, yeah. and he had, had the big, the, big hit nobody single. else that Ian produced because yeah. yeah. Ian's a bloody genius. Yeah. And then a mushroom Australia showed some interest in him, and. Mm. Uh, and they signed him his publishing. So I said, right, come on, let's go over there because um, I just had my son Marlon and we went to Melbourne and I thought, um, I actually, I stopped 
making music and singing because I thought, you know, I'm, 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 this is one of my biggest flaws as I concede to everyone else. So I think, oh, you're much more brilliant than I am. So took Rick to, to Melbourne and when I say took him, we went together, but, yeah. you know, I got him a record deal with Mushin in, in Melbourne and mm. looked after him there, but he, he wasn't in that right state of mind. And so I stopped making music and, and did that. And then that fell apart because he didn't want to perform live mm. over there. And that's what they need. Or every, everywhere he, does. He ends up making this record in the mid-90s that's mm-hmm. actually really good. But and when right, I, the reason I say it's actually really good is because probably a lot of people didn't get their head around it or didn't hear yeah, it or if it they was, heard it they forgot it. You're so right. And it's actually pretty good. Like it's got some good pop Eddie Rayner produced yeah, it. Yeah, that's right. It's very raw. Yeah. You know, when you listen to it, it's really raw. But so. he has this albatross that he's known as, the, even though he, you know, is a great sound man and has gone on to do all these other things and has done all these things, he's this guy who is known for singing this soppy but lovely and kind of wonderful. I mean, I love that song and lots of people do, but it's like that's his calling card yeah. in terms of how, this is my understanding, that's his calling card in terms yeah. of how a lot of people have come to know him as this sort of soppy pop ballad yeah. and so they don't want raw and rock and they don't want you know yeah. like Costello like pop hooks you know like they don't want that stuff because they heard a guy singing a, a cheesy but lovely ballad and they probably want more of that you know because he's kind of got boy band written all over him at that point even though he, you know he probably didn't want that yeah no you're so right he 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 writes the most perfect ballads Ricky, yeah and and Ian Morris yeah. could make a ballad interesting. Well, you could make any song interesting. Exactly. You know? I so mean, he, I, I'm, one of my favourite records that I own is that Tex Pistol record, which has got nobody else on it, and obviously his fantastic, you know, covers that he did, that he that, that he rearranged and transformed, and then like some good, you know, oh, yeah. even Ian doing some really cool like kind of surfy guitar and you yeah. know like these instrumentals and you know soundscapey sort of stuff he was you know a real wizard wasn't he Ian was a genius absolute yeah. genius and he mm. took he took in it like um everything he did he did every, it was in the minutia of every sound yeah. Yeah. one of the greatest engineers and producers yeah. of our history probably mm. probably the best actually and I'm so I sad mean if he'd gone. just if he'd just done um what the outrageous fortune soundtrack, you know, if he'd just done that that song. Boom. Oh yeah. the, the kick the, and the snare. He was behind that and he behind was. that drum sound, but if he'd just done that, that would be like kinda cool. And that but and that's he, just a, that's just a footnote to what he did. He put the drums in the stairwell for that mm. and got that sound, that that really loose. And that same sound. huge drum sound, his version of Game of Love has got that, yeah. this this awesome Except, you know, big, Game huge of Love. And that that sound. Well, I was talking about that with my dad the other day, and he goes, he goes, that song, like it's a good song, but I think I like that cover version better. And he's like, you know, that's not often the way. And I was like, that's true, that's not often the way. Like you end up, if you don't already know the original, you end up going and finding it and going, oh well, that must be better. It came first. There aren't that many covers that actually sell you on the cover version over the original. Exactly. And I think he did that with Game of Love. Oh God, yeah. He, He Ian could separate sounds out. And balance everything mm. so you've got this big thing. And the the snare sound on, on Game of Love was mm. a Ferrari on the television. 
and he recorded it yeah. and he put it backwards. So, fuel, fuel, fuel. Oh. So, when you hear that sound, <laughs> it's the snare, yeah, it's yeah, the well. Ferrari going backwards. So, you go to Aussie with Ricky. Yes. And so he, he's, he gets signed and he's trying things, and you're, you're a mother mm-hmm. and you're not singing. Nope. And then when do you start singing again and what do you do? Okay, so I arrived in mid-1990 mm. and my friend Jane West, I don't know if you're Jane Summer, oh, she's brilliant. She used to work with Daniel Kelly on Sweetwaters and yeah. she was a Hauraki reporter and yeah. then she was worked with everybody and she said, Debbie, Jimmy's looking for a backing vocalist. <laughs> I went, I'll send my stuff. I haven't got much because I never archive anything. I've given everything away. Mm. I don't even know what I do. I wrote a letter and I sent off a couple of things. And Jim came back and said, okay, we'd love Debbie to sing. I don't think he said that. Yes, that would be great. <laughs> <laughs> I always make things better. Than, I'm, I'm yeah. SpongeBob. I make things much more interesting than they are. <laughs> and, um, and, and I think Jane Barnes loved me because I had a child and a husband because she was they'd, yeah. they'd never had a woman on the road with Jim right. because she didn't trust him. Oh, did I say that loud? Yeah, I think that's true though. <laughs> and um, I was so trustworthy. I was so in love with my husband. There was no way I was ever going to do that. So within, like I'd gone there to promote his career and I'd worked with, do you know Bill, Bill Page from Mushroom? Yeah, Mushroomville? yeah. One of my favourite people, brilliant song person. I'd been talking to them and getting Ricky happening and, and his, getting his songs recorded. But then Jim said, yeah, you're on, Deb. So I went on the road with Jimmy Barnes and I had to win my son, who I'd feared and loved for seven mm. and a half months, I had to And see. you're on the road in Australia with Jimmy Barnes. Yes. And <laughs> he's, what, three albums into his solo career, or just about to be? It so was Lay Down yeah. Your Guns. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. going to say it's the Two Fires album. Yes. Which is, I think, his third, or maybe his, actually his fourth. Yeah, but, like, he's fully broken. I mean, he's a big deal yeah. from his oh, first solo God. album. He's Australia's son. Mm. And he's certainly not showing any signs of being shit by the time of Two Fires. That's a good record for him. That's a yeah. big big record. I mean, he still plays quite a few songs from that. Oh, play, yeah. I've seen him a bunch of times. He still plays quite a few songs from that live. Yeah, it was incredible. So that was a big record. And then he's yeah. got this, you know, cold chisel mythology. Yes. And then the, this early catalogue, which is strong. Yeah. You know, um, working class man and all that sort of stuff yeah. is strong. So, man, these must be big shows. Oh, they were huge. And I was a, a mother, you know, with mother was, yeah. so I was still in, you know, our mothers go very internal at that point and I had to win my baby Ricky came with me to Sydney and and he then took Marlon back to Melbourne and looked after him and then I went on the road with Jim and it was just like a baptism by fire Mm. Simon Mm. I was so um I went oh my god so I thought rock and roll was in New Zealand (laughs) oh no this is much more that way um so you with Jim and I had Denny Hines Mm. I see other backing vocalists, and she came over to our little flat, which was actually next door to Neil Finn's house, because we rented a little flat off Neil uh, in East St Kilda, and Denny came over, and she took one look at me, and I was 30, and she said, oh my God, you're so old, and slapped <laughs> me on the arm and went, I hate you, and uh, when, yeah, she was the weirdest girl, you know, so we went on the road, and I remember turning up at the mascot Record uh, rehearsal studio, and and standing up, and Jim said, "Okay, we're going to start with uh, lay down your guns," 
and and the band started. I went, oh my god! It was so loud that I could not believe it. And I I went to Jim about three songs later. I went, Jimmy, is this how loud it's going to be all the time? He went, it's not loud yet, Dad. Oh my god! And um, it was just, it was trouser shaking. Yeah. I, and I was going, oh my God, I'd just come out of motherhood, la, 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 into that situation. And then we went on the road, and our, I can't remember our first show, but they were big, the Sydney mm. Entertainment Centre mm. and mm. the MCG we played, and it was always about 25,000 people there. And, <laughs> and I'd... And, and Jane Barnes, his wife, hated my clothes. So she bought... Because <laughs> I was a bit shit with clothes, so I've always been more a sort of comfort girl. Um, and she bought all these clothes, these silk dresses and everything. And we walked on stage. And the next day they took my clothes away and they washed them and they came back the next night and they were well, like... What's her role and is she like yep. Jimmy's manager or, or like... Default she is, manager. She, yeah, yeah. She is, Jimmy's manager's yeah. manager. Oh, if when, you know, Jane, yeah. She's like Jimmy's God. Yeah. If God walks in the room, you know, you do whatever God says. So Jane, definitely. And what, he needed someone like that, has needed someone like that, could need someone like that to keep afloat because he, uh, he, I'm just guessing here he was and would be a fucking shambles without someone to... I think, I think, yeah, and people say that. Just from the stories I've heard about yeah. those cultures, you know, everyone, everyone knows the says, stories about him. Everyone says he, he wouldn't be in love without Jane. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. I'm not so sure. But he needed someone. and I think she, she, really, she really lifted him up to mm. a level where he was on the big stages mm. and stuff. But I think Jim just has it anyway. And I, you know, when I first heard Jim, I, I thought, oh, he can't sing, he's just screaming. When I got yeah. in the room with him. I, I, I sort of feel really like everyone comes around to Jimmy Barnes, you know, like if mm-hmm. they don't if they don't already arrive at it, you know, and I know loads of Australians because of Chisel and what it meant to them and what it means to them and, and the first solo record or the first two solo records are right there alongside him. But I know I know he's popular in New Zealand. I mean, he always plays here. But, uh, you know, as a, again, around that time of Cat's Way, when those first records of his were out, I loved those. And then I sort of went away from him, and now I've gone back, and you go and see him play, and you see Chisel reform and stuff, and it's fucking great. Oh, he's, he's, he he's, is that cold Chisel reunion of a couple of years ago was was astounding. Yeah. Like, and you know, I mean, Ian Moss is great. Yeah, I mean, he's amazing. Oh god, and they're all good, but it was Jimmy Jim. that was selling it. You oh, know, like, oh my god, you know? he. He can. He has. Look, I, I, I used to write him. When Jane West said to me, "Go and sing with him, Debbie," I went, "Oh, I don't really." He just screams. Honestly, his voice. When you're standing in a room with him mm. and he's singing, mm. there's no one on this planet mm. that can do that. He mm. is incredible, mm. um, and that's why he's endured. Because if you're shit, you don't really endure. No, that's I think right. you have to be really. Amazing, yeah, and he was, and he's the sweetest man, he was such a darling, and um, his band formidable. Yeah, the drummer used to have a double four way PA behind him, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god, and we were Denny and I had like little monitors, and it started up on, on you know, on the shows we used to walk up, and I'd say, Denny, how, how do you sing when you can't hear? Mm. And she said, I sing by vibration, and after two years with 
Jim, I'm completely deaf now. He completely <laughs> destroyed but me. But he's always had he's always had these really good um, female vocalists, and I mean really good mm. as in great vocalists, like, like Hans yeah, and yeah, yeah, yeah. And well, his Kim his his, uh, his daughter sings with him now, and she has Mahalia. done for a while. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah, him, yeah. You know, I mean, his, his, he's the most musical man. Oh, yeah. Simon, let me tell you, every single night we do these shows. It would be this. Every player is the best they can be. Yeah. And we'd do two and a half hours, three hours. We'd come off stage, we'd sit in the room. Jim would burst through the door. And he literally would go round the room from one musician to the other. And he'd go, you, you played a G instead of an F in the bridge of, you <laughs> yeah, know. Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, it, and, and don't fucking do that ever a fucking again, all right? And... Oh my God, every night. Wow. So as a band that yeah. was really hard, he'd, get, he'd go yeah. around, he'd get to me, he'd go, God, okay, I can't say anything to you. And then he'd go around and he would just tear them to shreds. He'd smash the mirrors on the wall, he'd punch the doors, he'd walk out. The next day we'd drive, we'd drive to the next venue, like six hours in Australia from Perth to, yeah. you know, wherever. And he would play our show. Like the live, the off the desk. Hang on, it's the 16 recording. hours from Perth to wherever, isn't it? Is, is it <laughs> I think. Geraldton, yeah, yeah, six yeah. hours, yeah. isn't it? Maybe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Broom is probably yeah. six hours. <laughs> we went there too. And he would sit, make us sit in the car and play the show. Yeah. And say, that was the wrong note, that was sharp, that was flat. He, he is the most incredible right. musical man yeah. I've ever met in my life. Mm. And people think he's just shouting, no, yeah. he's got it, he's got it. It's funny that, isn't it? It's the same with, um, well, I don't know if it's the same with, but my impression is it's the same with, it was the same with someone like Joe Cocker, who yeah. who I think had a similar um you know, people, Musicality. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, pe- yeah. people probably level the similar charge at him. That, oh, that guy's just shouting. He can't really sing, but I, I, he's a bit pissed. I, I, yeah, I watched that guy play a lot live. I don't know why. It was just occupational hazard. He was always in the country and I had to review him. And you could see that he knew. I mean, I know back in the day he had, you know, great musical directors like Leon Russell and stuff, but he always had a great band and you could see that he knew where they were oh, at every... He, yeah. And I think that's quite common with those, you know, those, those really great lead vocalists. Yeah. They know, you know, exactly they might they, they might not be able to write it down on paper. Yeah. Some of them can too, but yeah. but they know where everyone is supposed to be because they know what right. makes a show and yeah. they know what supports them. And Joe Cocker, you know, yeah. he, he chose that song by Barbara Griffin, Make Love Not War, yeah. you know, and he recorded it because he's musical, even though he can't. It's like the greatest musicians in the world not don't mm. necessarily sing mm. brilliantly. Mm. Um you know, there's well, Bob and Neil actually is just mm. an example, but they're musical and definitely Joe Cocker. Mm. He pulled the best musicians mm. around him. He chose the best songs because he he could hear the brilliance in those mm. songs. You know, mm. Mm. So yeah. Another guy, great example of a guy who was all about serving the song, all about caring about the right song going across. You know, so absolutely you, right. So Helen Gamble's like that. Yeah. So you're an Aussie for how long? Two years. Yeah. Two years. I, I stayed, yeah, with Jim, but I had a baby and Rick didn't work for that time and he was, I don't know what was going on there, but he didn't want to play live and so Mushroom dropped him and we had a family and, you know, with Jim, I was on a wage that was like seven fifty a week doing these massive concerts. But because they said to me, there were thousands of other 
singers who'd want to do this gig. Yeah. So this is what we pay you, seven fifty. So I was like, in the Sydney Entertainment Centre in front of 23,000 people on 80, getting 80 bucks that night, you know. And that's... Because <laughs> so if it's not you, it's anyone else, frankly, right? Exactly. Like that's, that's, and they know that. Yeah. They, they know. They, yeah. Thousands and, of women and you know that. <laughs> yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah. So and uh, so we came home. We, we, I got down to our... We had a car left, which I sold, and the Finns, actually, because we live next door to Shannon Neal, and mm. they, they helped us in the last month. And then we bailed with the last money that we got from the um, car and came back and just started from then in 1992 yeah. and just went out and worked in bars. We formed a band and um, just worked to support our family. Yeah. And then I had gala, you know, so yeah. being a mum and trying to look after because I've got a big thing about being present for your children and then working at night so I'd work all, you know I'd be with my children all day and then go out at night mm. late and sing all night and come home get to bed at three wake up at seven it was ooh, those were <laughs> tough years yeah I have to say it was it was hard you know but in the early 90s, it was pretty good because we still could, in a way, um, people wanted us because yeah. of Melting Pot and... Yeah, and, and you, had, you had a cultural cachet, you had a yeah, yeah a business card. Yeah, and yeah. Ricky had no, nobody else. Yeah. Let's yeah, say. yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that's, you know, and thankfully, that's what kept us alive for all those years and, the, you know... Yeah. Wow. So what what's the next big thing that happens for you? What, what happens after, you know... What happens in the mid nineties? What happens? Because uh, Cats Away for, reforms, two thousand. Yeah, two thousand and one. We reformed, and and that's a big with with Sharon. Yep. Yeah. And I brought Sharon, Sharon in and, yeah. and Noel Crombie yeah, yeah. and Eddie Rayner. And you do a live album that's that's pretty massive. I think. I mean, I'm working in music retail at that point, and I remember that album was a big deal. Yeah, it was platinum and a half, I think. Yeah. And and I I hate live records. I you know it's not my thing, but that's all we had because we could never come together to record anything. Around that time, EMI, I went to EMI and they said we would love to do something with you gals. And you know I've just got to talk to Chris Caddick. I've just got to talk to Tokyo or Japan or wherever <laughs> their head office was at mm. the time, and we'll do something. We will really do it. And then um. Warners wanted to release Annie Crummer's Best Of or mm. Greatest Hits or something. Mm. And so there was a clash there. And I'm always sort of person that I'm a path of least resistance person. So Annie wanted, we recorded Asian Paradise and, and she wanted that for her record. And I did say to her, you know, EMI want that as a single off an album we might do together. Mm. Mm. And she went, and she said no because she wanted to do a record. And also, you know, record company people are very, very convincing. So um, we didn't, and uh, just sort of moved on. And everyone just went their separate ways, mm. not in a bad way at all. Mm. Um, yeah. So the, the live album does it pretty did. good. It's really. it's over now. Because yeah. what happened was, as you know, Universal bought EMI. Yeah. A few years ago, and. I think that album did really well, actually. Um, there was a big advance yeah. because of you know, as you know, and um, and then after that, yeah, I think it's buried in the Universal archives and yeah. yeah. You 
you're living where in Auckland? Oh, Devonport. Right. Yeah. 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 And then you you decide when do you decide to make the move back to Hawke's Bay? You know, Simon, I've wanted to come back for so many years. And mm. in the 90s, Ricky and I used to subscribe to Hawke's Bay today. Cost us billions, no, 130 <laughs> bucks a year. Uh, billions. Uh, and that paper would land on our door every day. Just to be in so touch. Funny. Just to, yeah. yeah. I wanted to come back years to ago. To feel a connection to the place. Rick didn't want to come back. But I think he was dad moved here, mm. married my auntie, you know, and Ian came here. Mm. And so there was, you know, they all come in and I'm sure actually Ricky would probably end up here anyway. But I wanted to come home for years, but you can't, you, we couldn't then. But now with the internet and flights so cheap, yeah, you can be anywhere, eh? Yeah. yeah. And, and yeah, I've come home and it's not even impeded my career at all. Not that I care about my career, but I care well, about music. <laughs> your your career seems to be something that starts again I was going to say when you want it to, but it's probably not even that. But like, it just seems to um, kick up for you at a time when you and you're okay about that and open to it. And that's sort of what's happened the last couple of years, right? Like, yeah, it's sort of never stopped. Mm. It's so weird. There's but so every time t- you think it might have, yeah, you know, you, there's a wave up. of yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. There's another wave of you know. Oh, that's go a really on. good metaphor, actually, because I mm. always feel like. I'm surfing a wave, so I, I don't create the wave ever, mm, mm. but I will jump on it. If that wave comes towards me, I'll jump on it and and I, you know, surf that wave to its fruition, but, uh, yeah. I mean, I know you write and, 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 and stuff, but, yeah, it strikes me that you approach it as a, a singer first and foremost. I mean, you're a, you're a person who there's a song and there needs to be a song to exist and it's whether you write that or whether you discover a great song and, there then, is you that. Can, and then you can bring something to it. There is that, but actually I think I'm more a writer, actually, but I've never had the guts to, right. you know, to, to, push myself to forward. commit to that fully. And Sean yeah, yeah. Donnelly relates to that. I just yeah. had a real, really strong feeling about that. Because I'm not a performer, I don't push myself forward. But yeah, well, I mean, written... he, he calls himself an an, you know, a non-musician, an anti-musician. Yeah. He's, he's very much in the Brian Eno yeah. idea of, oh, I'm a non-musician. I'm, I'm probably that. You know, I'm but just... I've written all my life. And I, yeah. I, I will not um, release anything or record anything if I don't think that... If, if people aren't going to want it, mm. why would you bother? So mm. I'm all about doing it here, so... I've I've written all my life, you know, and and recently went to I um Roundhead and recorded my last song, Isolated. Yeah. And oh, yeah. But it took me so it took me eight years <laughs> to get into that studio to do yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Because I I lack that that da 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 you know, thing about me and I'm so scared and So so you and Ricky break up? Yeah. And you you stay friends. You guys are connected. Oh, yeah, we love you, each other. You know, you you yeah. have children together. Yeah. And I I know this a little bit from knowing both of you on Facebook that you guys speak. You're in touch. Yeah. You, you, you know. Oh, we we adore each other. We, yeah. Yeah. We yeah. But, I love but him the marriage family. doesn't work, and yeah. so you move away from that. And you, what 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 happens with cats away? Mm. It's just a. 
a sporadic thing now. Like it's it's versions of the band that pop up, and it's versions of, and then you do other things as well. I mean, you did the church tour. Yeah, I think it. Katsui actually finished in in two thousand and one, really. Yeah. Um, but there's a but there's a refined connection amongst some yeah. of the members of the group. Oh, definitely. So Annie and Margie, yeah. and me. Yeah, you guys um, are. You guys work well together. Know what know what constitutes a good show. Know how to put on a show. Actually, we don't. <laughs> well, you're we try. You're don't. still trying to. <laughs> you're, yeah, true. You're still we, hoping to. We literally get on the stage and we bring ourselves in and we yeah. go, "Oh God!" I no, but that's what I mean. You guys, you guys have have similar goals in terms of putting a song across to an audience. You want it. You oh, want maybe. You know. I think we have. We have. Oh, maybe. I think we have similar love. So yeah. So. You know, when I ask them, they go, oh, I'd love to get on stage with you. And we, it's respect. Yeah. So we have this respect thing. So it goes back so. to that, like, 1985, 86 yeah. time of oh, first bonding over I love material. them. And yeah. I, I, you know, Maggie and Annie, wow, you know, they're the most incredible people. So when we step on stage together and we look at each other and we're singing and we might have had a few wines and... We make eye contact and we relive everything we've been through but in our entire music. You've also made or renewed these connections with people like Shona Lang and Sharon O'Neill yeah. and, you know, Hammond Gamble and, you know, there are people yeah. that are, at various times were, were either along for the ride or were doing their own version of the ride. They're all heart people, so I, I reach out to them because I, mm. I can see heart people. So sh- with Sharon, you know, we brought her in with Alan you know, Mansfield, and mm. she's the most beautiful, clever, brilliant woman. And then Shona, I reached out to Shona because I knew that she hadn't played for a long time. Mm. And I felt that, that that was a travesty, you know, and I I mm. thought, God, you know. She's, the, she's yeah. so fucking great. Like. I know. Yeah. And I thought the men, you know, the men are always allowed to play and, and all corporates, you know, because yeah. really that's our world is corporates hiring us. They always hire the boys. And and I'm like, once they've got Geordie, who I love, and Dave, and all this, brilliant. Yeah. But where's Sharon and Sharon? You know? Yeah. So about 10 years ago, I thought, I've got to bring them back in. I've got longer, probably. Bring them back in so that people realise that they are as important. Because I think, I mean, I think people, there are people in New Zealand that remember and revere Shona Lang as some sort of songwriter. But I God. feel like um, Sharon O'Neill is somewhat again underrated totally. as a songwriter as as a singer as a performer sure but as a songwriter like ah. you know this <laughs> put Maxine up against oh, any song exactly and that whole record is amazing to it me is. like that's that's a go-to record every song you know, that every, woman has yeah, ever written yeah I, you know she's up there with Jordan she yeah. she she's written oh yeah I know and I, I never wanted people to, in this country to it's forget an about it. It's an interesting comparison. I, and I don't think you meant it as a comparison, but no, necessarily, no, no. but actually it's a really interesting comparison. There's a lot in those early Sharon O'Neill records. It's a similar kind of force Victoria that's flowing through. Yeah, but it's exactly. It's a similar sort of force that's flowing through Jordan as a young songwriter. And I've only just got it, actually. Yeah. So I'm just talking to you. Yeah. She, she is 
you know, yeah, exactly the same. She's yeah. tells stories. Yeah, and storytelling. the way yeah. she makes those words yeah. fit into music, yeah. which is not easy. Yeah. You know, anyone can write poems, like, yeah, yeah. like Ella, you know. Yeah, yeah. Anyone can write words, but to make it work in music is a real talent. Jewelry, yeah. Sharon and Neil, yeah. they're together. So... Um, what else has been going on recently and what are you aiming to do next and what's, you know, what's around the corner and... I have a feeling that um, it's going to be a very quiet future in the sense that I have... Okay, I'm going to be really honest now. I reckon the next few concerts that I'm going to do, which is Black Barn and we're doing Selwyn Sounds in Christchurch and what else am I doing? I'm doing The Boat. I have to talk about that. Mm. Um... That's probably going to be about it for mm-hmm. me. Um, I'm not going to fight anymore for, you know, concerts or places to play because that's what we do. Mm. I think the public think that people put us on stage, and but we they don't. Mm. We we I do that, you and yeah, um, yeah. and it's really exhausting, and there's it never equates to oh oh incoming, it never equates <laughs> to you know, much money or anything. So it takes a lot from you. And the older you get, that the harder it gets. Mm. But in Black Barn, I'm doing, we're doing Taronga with Mike Williams and Sharon at a, at a, a, a private show in Taronga. Mm. We're doing Selwyn Sounds and I'm doing the book. So, um, and then after that, I'm just going to actually drop the ball and I'm just going to record with Paul and, you know, just do the songs that I've banked up that I've written over the years. So how did you guys meet and connect? We met in 1981 um, when I first came to Auckland and I, you know, went to, he was building Harlequin when I was painting Harlequin. Right. So So you guys have done the yards, you know. Yeah, 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 yeah. We've yeah, been yeah. involved in music. Yeah, 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 years, yeah, yeah. You've it, built it from the ground up. Exactly. It turns out that so it turns out that when you sit in a room and solder things all your life and yeah, crap wow. things, this is what you buy. When I met yeah. Paul I had a bicycle. Yeah. You know, musicians don't have any money and, as we know. But anyway. You had a bicycle, your brother had a tent. Yeah, yeah that's right. <laughs> Thank God. Mm. You know I've got a house now. Mm. Um and oh, we're just going to we're going to do an album together. Yeah, uh, he's incredible, and he loves Randy Newman, by the way. Um, Fantastic. Anyone who likes Randy Newman is gets a free pass. Okay, pa- by yeah, you. Yeah, gets a free pass. Paulie just adores him. Yeah. he just has everything, and he plays the most beautiful piano. And I've written so many songs, and I'm going to do most of them just piano and voice. Um, but I'm going to I've done I'm doing isolated with Stephen Small mm. and my band in Auckland and Shona we we went to Roundhead you know and and Shona did the song called Drop Dear Beautiful mm. which is like the Stones it was the most amazing song mm. and I did my I don't even know you know what when I sing live I'm a rock singer but when I write it's all these small cheeks. Mm. Tragic battles. <laughs> I can't help it. Yeah. That's just the way they come, you know. And I wrote the song because Isolated, which was about being estranged from my mother for 12 years. And I, I, I wrote it about that. And it, it, it means a lot, but it's pretty soft. But I'll do it at Black Barn. And, yeah. You know, people, there's an audience for everything. And people either love you or hate you. And I've experienced plenty of hate and plenty of love. And you just have to keep doing what you do. Yeah. Hey? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, is there? We've had a good old chat, but is there anything that we should have talked about that we that we haven't? Is there anything you want to put across that 
or you were expecting me to ask you that I didn't? I, when I say I put Sharon and Shona on a stage, what I mean is I actually logistically do. Yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah. they absolutely should be there. Yeah, 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 yeah. They deserve to be there. They belong to be yeah. there anyway. But, but they wouldn't still require, be there. That's right. It still requires someone to put them there. Oh, God, Sharon, you know. Australia never really embraced her or loved mm. her, you know. And mm. I remember bringing her out, and she hadn't played in New Zealand for 20 years. Shona, when I first got her in 2009 to play with us, she hadn't been in playing with a band for mm. 14 years. Mm. So when my band, who are incredible, mm. Brené Nippi and Hayden Fadawaka, Gail Tiffany, Anthony Gray and Gary play, you know, she walked on that stage the first time for mm. all those years and went, oh, that's how their songs are meant to be. Mm. You know, it's so cool. It's so good. I'm all about putting the song, giving the songs to people, not, it's not a, never about me, actually. I'd rather back off but mm. I just hate that songs are missed songs are lost great songs are lost yeah and that's what I have spent my whole life doing actually yeah well should we turn the tape recorder off and have another drink yeah let's get the <laughs> red wine out <laughs>